Good morning again and welcome. Um, I bet you're like, where's Pastor Craig? Um, he had uh, some travel issues. Uh, he and his family actually got stuck in New York yesterday um, on their way back from Latvia, so he wasn't going to be able to make it. Um, but y'all pray for them as they uh, had to take separate flights home from New York just to get home today uh, at a reasonable time. So uh, they're on their way back, uh, so I am preaching, and I'm not preaching on the Sabbath. Um, I, I didn't, couldn't get it all together from 5 o'clock yesterday to now. Um, but what was really neat was when uh, I was asked to preach yesterday, I already knew what I was going to say. So uh, it would have been something God put on my heart this week. Um, so if you would, please turn to Matthew chapter 7, if you have your Bible. Um, it was something I shared with some students on Wednesday morning. Um, and uh, I still don't exactly know where it came from. I'm going to have to go back and look. But I already knew what I was going to say. I knew what I was going to wear. So it's funny how God goes before you and uh, um, I already figures everything out. And all the questions that you might have, I might have had, uh, already had answers. So it's pretty neat. Um, but uh, Pastor Craig and I will be back this evening. Um, and so everything will resume at a normal pace, hopefully, uh, this coming week. If you are at Matthew 7, and if you would, please stand with me uh, for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verses 12 through 14. These are Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, God, for the power of your spirit and the upbuilding of your church and the gospel that saves. God, as we consider Jesus' word this morning, I pray, Lord, you would open our eyes and our hearts to have it apply to each of us in the way that we need, knowing that uh, all of your ways are better than ours. In Christ's name, amen. So, um, because of all the, the changing, that bulletin that you got on the way in does not match anything I'm about to say. And uh, so tomorrow morning, uh, we'll email out uh, a new bulletin for you guys that have all the questions for Life Group and everything. And it's a good opportunity. If you don't receive the information from Malvern Hill, you will not receive the bulletin tomorrow morning. But if you'd like to, you can go to malvernhill.org connect and uh, fill out the information. That'll allow you to get on our mailing list and stay up to date with everything that's going on around here. Um, so here this morning, we'll begin. You already have the verses, Matthew 7, 12. Through 14, but the title is The Narrow Way, and the question that we're going to consider is Can you walk in truth and trust the outcome to God? Can you walk in truth and trust the outcome to God? So here's how this breaks down. Number one, don't stop short. Don't stop short of Jesus' words here. The so in the first word of this verse, verse number 12. It's a conjunction. You might have therefore in your Bible, depending on the translation, but it's a conjunction. It's a dot connector. And it's a marker here at the beginning of verse 12 for Jesus to tell us that he is summarizing his Sermon on the Mount. So he begins this back in chapter 5, and this is you know, the totality of Jesus' teaching in life. He exposes with the Sermon on the Mount. But at the end of verse number 12, 
He also says that this is the law and the prophets. He not only connects the dots between what he said already in the Sermon on the Mount, but he connects the dots to the entirety of the Old Testament and says, this is what that meant. This is the law and the prophets. When you think about the law, the commandments, and the totality of the law and the prophets, they were all expectations for God's people on how to live and do what was right. And what Jesus begins with what we might call the golden rule, and he takes everything and summarizes it and gives to us a truth we can apply to thousands of situations. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And see, when you think about this, you cannot disconnect the, the, the idea that Jesus is presenting here because Jesus is telling you two things that you may not ever realized when you thought about the golden rule because he says whatever you wish that's a desire jesus connecting your desire to your action so whatever you do is more than just checking a box and as jesus already preached in the sermon on the mount jesus links your heart to your actions don't stop short of jesus words by making them only actions because he's tying all this together and he's displaying for that from the Old Testament and from his own words that your heart determines your actions and that everything he commands and everything that the Bible tells us to do is more than a, a list uh, that we get to go down and check boxes. Because Jesus said things like this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, if you have ever hated anyone in your heart, it's murder. So murder is not just what you would outwardly do. Even you, if you just, you know, did not outwardly hate someone, if you hated someone in your heart, it's murder. He said, if you lust after someone, it's adultery. That means it comes out of you. It's in your heart. Jesus said, whatever you would wish that others would do to you, do also to them. It's more than actions. The golden rule is a call to sacrifice because as Jesus is summarizing everything that he just say, said, Jesus says things like this in the Sermon on the Mount, if anyone strikes you on one side of your face, turn to them the other. Turn the other cheek. If anyone asks you for your coat, you're to give them your cloak and your coat. Then you're to give them more than they ask for. If anyone asks you to go one mile, you're supposed to go two. The Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' words here and his actions that are supposed to, over, the actions that are supposed to overflow out of us are supposed to be sacrificial. The golden roll is a call to sacrifice. Because one day, you're going to need someone to turn the other cheek for you. One day, you're going to need somebody to go the second mile with you. One day, you're going to need more than you asked for. And so when he says, whatever you would wish for others to do to you, what he's saying is, you know, one day you're going to be on the other side of this. And because everything's going to come out from inside of you and your desires, you can't just stop short of Jesus' words and check a box saying, I didn't hate anybody today. By outwardly in my actions, hurting them. Because Jesus says it's a heart thing. 
You'll be the one that needs the second mile one day. Can you walk in truth and trust the outcome to God, not stopping short of Jesus' words? Can you get your heart in the right place to overrule how you might feel? Don't stop short of Jesus' words because what you sow today, you reap tomorrow. Galatians 6, 8, and 9 say, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, big S, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season you will reap if you do not give up. What do you sow today is what you will reap tomorrow. And one of the things that Mr. Victor Egbon said to us at a deacon's meeting one time, it says, it takes a whole lot to grow weary. It takes time to grow weary. And what you sow, you're going to reap. So you can't figure out why today's bad, but it might not be because you did something yesterday, but because of all the things you've done in the last two weeks. When you stop reading your Bible and stop praying, and you didn't worry about how your heart felt, you were only considering your actions, Jesus is tying all of this together. Whatever you wish is others would do to you, you are to do to them. What you sow today, you'll reap tomorrow for the good and bad. Don't stop short of Jesus' word, but don't stop short of Jesus' reflection either. And here's what I mean. There could be some of us who has a little bit thicker skin than others. The best example I could figure to tell you this is like young men, like let's just say a football team, you know, or old men, we all talk smack. We, you know, say a lot of things. We pick on each other. We give each other a hard time, right? So, there is some young men that might say something to one another that doesn't bother them. Like, it doesn't bother somebody if you say that to me, right? So when you consider what you're doing, you have to think about it more as what you actually did, but did it reflect Jesus? Because that's not something Jesus would say. The way that you put people down and not pick people up is not something Jesus would do. So never stop short of the entire truth of Matthew. Don't think about how you want to be treated, but think, don't just think about what you wish and how you want to be treated, but think about how you reflect Jesus and what you do. Because the way you treat others should reflect who Jesus is. Can you walk in truth and trust the outcome to God by not start stopping short of Jesus' reflection. See, the Bible teaches us that outcome is God's business. And trusting Him is our business. Taking Him at His word is our business. But we can never treat God's sovereignty as if our obedience and His blessing are a dividend that He owes us. You can't look at what you do today and say, okay, I'm going to get it back tomorrow. Because that's not doing things with the right heart. If you're trying to earn the blessing that God might have for you, then that's not the right heart. That's the box checking. That is not what Jesus is teaching us. Never treat God's sovereignty as if he owes you anything because of what you do. How might you do that? You'll determine the outcome of your obedience. You'll say, well, I did this, so I get this. You might even put a clock on your obedience and the blessing that's supposed to come saying, okay, I'll give God three days because I was just nice to somebody and I, I didn't do what I wanted to do. 
you might expect reciprocation. But see, here's the thing, and I love to do this to our teenagers. I love to look at them and say, okay, you know, and I'm looking at you and saying this too, I'm like, you know just about everything you're gonna do this week. We all have, you know, repeating schedules to a degree. You know you're gonna go to work, you know who you're gonna be around. You know your family, you know your friends, all of that. You know the thing that you're gonna do at, you know, where you're gonna be at eight o'clock Wednesday morning and 7.30 on Friday night. Most everybody has a schedule and you already know what's going on. And if I looked at you and said, okay, I want everybody to plan out their week and think about what's gonna happen this week. And then I look at you and say, did you build in a fight with a coworker? Did you build in some struggle with one of your children, teenagers? Did you build in that fight with your parents? or that quiz that you forgot? Did you put any margin in your schedule for things to get hard? Why not? It was last week, it was the week before, it has been forever. But when you treat God's sovereignty as if your obedience is demanding that blessing and you don't build in that change of heart, that's going to be needed when things get difficult, if you don't think they're coming, you're wrong because the reality of your own life speaks to that truth. The Bible speaks to that truth. Don't stop short of looking like Jesus by leaving margin out to do what is difficult. You're gonna to have to leave some time to go the second mile with somebody. You're gonna to have to leave some emotion in your pocket so that you know, you're not always running at 100% full of vigor and that when somebody does something, you don't lose it. Don't stop short so that you can keep reflecting Jesus. Don't stop short of doing what is difficult, number two, by doing it Jesus' way. Go Jesus' way. There are many ways that the world tells us to go. The culture and the world and everything about the place that we live is all seeking to lead us in a way. There's some statistic, and I believe that it's true. You see 4,000 different advertisements a day. Different things in which the world is trying to seek you to come to it. And just so you know, the vast majority, I'm not going to say all, the vast majority of the things that are being advertised to you are not for your good. They're for somebody to make money. But go Jesus' way because there are many ways the world says go. There are many things the world says chase and how it offers you that happiness and that's the wide gate. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter it by it are many. There are many ways that the world says go. There's only one way the Bible says go, the narrow gate. Go Jesus' way because they are prohibitions for your protection. Jesus said, summed up, he said, this is the law and the prophets. And too often we look at the Ten Commandments or the law and the prophets or the do's and the do nots of the Bible as if they're cages to keep us from being happy instead of fences to keep us safe. Go Jesus' way because they are prohibitions for your protection. Jesus said, don't do that because this is good for you. 
and do do this because it is good for you. You can't think of turning the other cheek as being something good for you until you realize that's just obedience to God's word. The second mile is something good for you. See, oftentimes it's not God that's limiting your happiness, it's you. You think God's just not blessing you or not hearing your prayers or answering them. But what if it's because you're living like what he's telling you to do is trying to keep you from being happy? See, there are blessings from obedience. The Bible gets you where you actually want to be. Jesus' way actually gets you to the way that the world, the lie that the world is telling you to healthy, happy, and whole. That only one way gets you there. Go Jesus' way and realize that he gives you what you really want. The narrow gate is actually where your life is best. When you're walking with Jesus, you must not disconnect what you might want from what Jesus will give you. You often think that the narrow gate, Jesus' way, is limiting your happiness. Or that what you want doesn't matter if you go through that narrow gate and do things Jesus' way. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in Psalm 37, 4, and a great guy named Charlie gave me this truth this week. In Psalm 37, 4, it says, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You think the narrow gate is limiting your happiness. And what Jesus says is this is the place you actually want to be. And you've just bought the lie that there's another way, but it's only his way. But it's still Jesus first. It says delight in the Lord and he will give you. It's still him first, his way first. It's still seek ye the kingdom of God first. What Jesus has already preached in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, Go Jesus' way and not enter the other way. The wide gate is everything but Jesus. Because if I looked at you and I said, make a list of everything that you could possibly want and everything that you would need in order to be happy, there would always be just one more thing. Just one more thing. Rockefeller. The guy that built the Biltmore, they asked him one time, they said, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. There is no figure to make you happy. There is no list of wants that will actually fulfill the desires of your heart because Jesus knows your heart better than you do. The right car, clothes, career, or phone, the right friends, family, boyfriend, or girlfriend, I need to be the best to make me happy. I need this promotion to make me happy. I need this boat to make me happy. I need to win to make me happy. I have to be perfect to be happy. The Bible is a universal governing truth. It's not suggestion. This is the way that things are. And it says there's one way. And it's not the wide gate because that's just calling destruction upon yourself. And those who enter it that way is easy, and it leads to destruction. Go Jesus' way, and number three, just do one thing. 
what Jesus says. Just do one thing. If Jesus says enter through the narrow gate, go the second mile, give up both your coat and your, coat and your tunic. If he says turn the other cheek, do all of those things. Just do it Jesus' way. Jesus knows you better than you know you. And do one thing, what he says do. And before you make those one things into boxes that you can check, before you go home and Google what are all the things that Jesus says do and begin running down that list and checking those boxes, you need to know this. We call this thing in the student ministry, we call it five plus one. That math actually doesn't work. So I'm going to teach y'all, because if you do something like stupid, they remember it. If you make something like really clear, they'll forget it forever, right? So we call it five plus one. It's reading your Bible, praying, being around the right people, eating right, sleeping right, exercising and being outside. See, it's seven. And because it's five plus one and it equals seven, they remember it. Go figure. Remember that the, all of these things the Bible says do, and you can run down this list and check all of these boxes and still feel empty. Because these boxes are not things to do to make you feel better. They're fences to get you to go Jesus' way. Yes, the Bible fills you up. Yes, reading the Bible should absolutely change your heart. And it never returns void and there's power in it. Yes. But there's going to be times when you, do all, when you can do off the five plus one and you still feel like something's wrong because you determine that checking the boxes is supposed to make you feel good. And that's not true. Checking the, doing these things keep you safe. They're fences to prepare you to follow Jesus and do what he says. Do one thing. See, we have a bad habit in the church in disconnecting what Jesus says from how we live. There are very few, you know, longtime church members that cannot recite John 3.16 or Jeremiah 29.11 or Philippians 4.13. We can tell you all that Jesus says, but we so often disconnect what he says from how we live. We leave out of the equation when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, we say, okay, we know the truth. We know John 3.16. We see the way that Jesus said live and to go through that narrow gate, and we can't figure out why the life that he promised is escaping us. Go Jesus' way. The way Jesus lived is what he said, and combining what he said with how he lived brings you to his life, the one that he promised. Because he promises in John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. The world sells you thousands of lies every day that promise only what Jesus can give. But your part is more than knowing and it's more than doing. It's desiring Jesus' way in your heart. And it's hard. But it, the promise is given to us. Jesus said our lives were going to be difficult if we followed him. There's never been a cross that was easy to carry. The narrow gate is hard. The word narrow actually means constricting and implies difficulty. 
Jesus' way is hard, but Jesus knows your heart. And if you build your life on Jesus' truth, then you get to Jesus' life. With that warning, I'll give you one more. The fruit of your obedience is not going to be readily apparent every time. You're going to turn the other cheek a lot. Somebody's going to cut you off, and you're not going to, like, horn cuss them. You're not going to pull around them and cut them off. Somebody's going to say something to you or gossip about you, and you're not going to return that. But I want you to consider what everything that I just said. Everything that I just said just makes you a nice person, not a follower of Jesus, because Jesus said the way that you're supposed to go is supposed to be more than just being nice. There's a second mile to Jesus' way. The first mile is just not honking the horn at them. The second mile would be praying for them. When somebody says something about you, the first mile is not slapping them or not saying something back. The second mile would be looking at them and saying, I forgive you for that, and I'm going to pray for you that maybe this doesn't happen again. But how do you get to a place where that's actually the overflow of your heart and the things that come out of your mouth? That's where those fences come from. Read your Bible, pray, be around the right people, eat right, sleep right, be outside, exercise. Those are fences that get you to a place where you're able to turn the other cheek. The fruit of your obedience, though, will not always be readily apparent. There's tons of examples of a delayed blessing from obedience here for Job. If you read in the Old Testament, Job's book, Job's book is about suffering, and he gets everything taken away from him. And in verse 15 of chapter 13, he says, Though he slay me, I will trust him. Joseph, in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, was sold into slavery in prison and separated from his family for years. And at the end of his life, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many should be kept alive as they are today. Delayed blessing from consistent obedience. Jeremiah was imprisoned, beaten, mocked, and still wrote, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. Jesus was rejected, condemned, and crucified, and he knew everything that was coming for him. And he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was arrested. My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. See, Jesus bowed in submission and in humility and in trust to his heavenly father and the Holy Spirit consistently throughout his life. He begins his ministry by being led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he ends it by saying, Father, not your will, but mine be done. But not my will, but yours be done. Delayed, obedience, delayed blessing comes from obedience. So as we close this morning, God may not be asking you to understand today what all's coming at you or what all's going on. He may not be 
asking you to figure out all the details of why life is hard right now. He may just be looking at you and say, trust me. Whatever you wish, whatever your heart's desire is, you're going to need it from somebody else one day, so do it to them. Do the hard thing, the narrow gate. God may not be asking you to understand today. John Piper once said, God is doing 10,000 things in your life at one time, and you can only see three of them. A really smart person once said, time is a necessary component to understanding. Psalm 23 says, and goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Sometimes it's hard to see goodness and mercy and the blessing of obedience in front of you, but it says it follows you. It's often only seen in the rearview mirror. Maybe God's not asking you to understand today, but to trust him. Trust and don't stop short of Jesus' words, but realize the heart that it came from. Don't trust and go Jesus' way and trust and just do one thing. And today, as we close, what your eyes see must not be what you use to determine what God is doing. God is already preparing your blessing from the obedience because whatever you sow, you will reap. If you do not grow weary, if you do not give up. God's already preparing the person that's going to turn the other cheek for you. He's revealing in his word to another maybe brother or sister in Christ so that they have the patience and the grace in their heart to forgive you when you hurt them. Don't stop short and don't just seek to understand. And don't determine what your eyes see by what what God's actually doing. Don't use your heart to make God's plan a math equation. If I do this and this, then this. Because even when you're absolutely certain of something, you're finite and you're fallible and you can't see the infinite goodness and what God's working. Even when you're 100% sure that what you're witnessing is not good, you still can't be sure because you are finite. And what God's working, you may not have any idea of the wonder he's about to bring. Because here's the truth, and this truth has been tested through the ages, through culture and time, and everyone knows and has known this. And it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis and the first two children who ever walked the earth. Everyone knows, and you can go look in ancient cultures, and they all say the same thing around the world forever, all the way back to Cain and Abel. Innocent murder is wrong. And there's not a civilization or not a person that's ever lived that don't have that inside of them that says, this is wrong. If someone doesn't do something and is condemned to die for it, it is wrong. Innocent murder has always been wrong. But the world was changed eternally, forever, that one day, one innocent person was murdered. There were three crosses. Picture this in your mind. One, two, and three. And the one in the middle bore the name of Jesus. And he was condemned, even though he was innocent. And everybody in this room, 
is certain that innocent murder is wrong. The one on the right and the one on the left deserved and even admitted as much that they deserved it. But because of the name in the middle, we say the innocent murder is good. We say that that one was good. Jesus died and it was good. God took the thing that is most heinous and most ugly about our world, innocent murder, and made it the best thing that ever happened to us. Even when you're 100% sure, you see what God's doing. He's bigger. Isaiah 55 says his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But because it was Jesus' name in the middle, the ransom for many, though you are a sinner, Christ died for you. The wages of sin was death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Because of that middle cross, we're different. And we have the opportunity for everything that we've ever done wrong to be forgiven before God because of that middle cross, because of something we're all certain was wrong, except when it comes to Jesus. Then it was the most right thing because his name is the name that is above all names. It is by one name that you may be saved, and it's because that he gave his life that way. So maybe God's not asking you to understand this morning. Maybe God's asking you to prepare to be obedient, to realize that, you know, delayed blessing comes from obedience, that you will reap what you sow. But maybe this morning you don't, you can't follow Jesus or do Jesus' way or go beyond what he says because you don't know him at all. He's not your Lord and Savior. And you are one whose wages of sin is death. And you know that you need forgiveness. And you need to ask Jesus to forgive you. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart one confesses and is justified, and with the mouth one believes. For with the mouth one is confesses and justified, and with the heart one believes and is saved. That's you today. And you don't know Jesus. I'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love to introduce you to somebody to talk to you about it. Or if, you're, if you don't want to come up and talk to me, Grab one of our staff or grab anybody and say, hey, I need to talk to somebody. I don't want to leave. But if God's asking you to just pray today, the altar's open. As I pray, you respond as the Lord is calling you. Dear Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for the example and the word of Jesus. Thank you for the truth that is your word and the way and the life that Jesus lived. Thank you for the blessing that does come from obedience. Thank you for the salvation that only is in him. And as we stand this morning and worship, God, help us to respond in obedience to the call that you've put on our hearts today, to repent, to trust, to dig deeper and go beyond anything we may have ever done. In Christ's name, amen.